Whether Easter Sunday is the most important day in the church calendar. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. Typically on even the Inappropriate Conversations podcast, I don't tend to deal with current events as they're current. And it is even more out of the norm for me to speak to anything that would be relatively considered to be a current event on Walk the Earth. But before I get to taking a look at my perspective on Easter within the Christian calendar, I feel like there's a couple things I should take care of first. One of them being a current event. I'll talk to that in just a moment. The other one perhaps just being some introductory material. Walk the Earth can be found and listened to on Stitcher Radio at Stitcher.com. Stitcher is an excellent way to listen to podcasts and other news and information programs on the go. For the purposes of this show, Inappropriate Conversations is the primary feed where Walk the Earth as a spinoff podcast shares the space. So you can find Walk the Earth by looking up Inappropriate Conversations on Stitcher. Again, for most of the regular podcast episodes, they are also found on the feed for Inappropriate Conversations. The best way to get to all the shows ever recorded for both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations is at www.inappropriateconversations.org. I don't delete anything, so the entire trajectory and history of both podcasts can be found there. I can be reached on Twitter. I'm at IC underscore Greg. For feedback, the best way to get a hold of me is via email. That's uh, IC underscore Greg at hotmail.com. And both the uh, Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations shows have their own pages on Facebook. You'll know you found the right one for Walk the Earth because the profile picture is a butterfly and the cover page is a single rose laying on a sandy beach, uh, in this case a sandy beach in Hawaii. Before I get going, though, with anything uh, related to Easter directly, I kind of want to deal with the question a little bit of maybe what it means for us to be thought of as Christians by the name Easter people. Now, this isn't necessarily that common of a description. There are many other ways that you might find synonymous terminology for Christians besides that. But since I want to talk about Easter today, and it's a turn of phrase I've used here in this weekend, talking about some things that I find deeply concerning, I thought maybe the use of the phrase Easter people right up front would be a good start. The term can mean multiple things, and i tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't in my case, refer to the movement in England and Wales several years ago, uh, corresponding with Vatican Council II. It may uh, take from Roman Catholicism this quote that I've seen from St. John Paul II, Do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. And there are other hymns related to it, uh, Easter people, raise your voices. It's simply from my perspective, and the way I'm going to use the term, this notion that as Christians uh, who believe in the uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there should be some sort of an underlying hope there. There should be a joy that rather than being Christians who've aligned themselves 
as people of, well, certainly not people of the law. Um, we'll get to that perhaps as it comes up throughout the rest of this year and planned questions to be answered on Walk the Earth. But no, are you going to be, just looking at Holy Week, are, going to be, are we going to be Easter people from the perspective of Easter people, uh, the servant leaders of Monday, Thursday? Uh, the notion of foot washing preceding the serving of the Lord's Supper, not a terrible way to be. Are we going to be um, Christians, if not from a Monday, Thursday perspective, are we going to be Christians from a Good Friday perspective? Somber, confused, without hope. And it's in that context that if you look at Holy Week as having all of these sort of concepts in them, this this notion of the last words of Christ, or that sense of uh, ownership or responsibility or even guilt over uh, things you know, related in the New Testament coming up to the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus? Or are we going to be Easter people instead, hopeful, looking forward, asking better questions? And I will tell you that one of the things that I find to be the biggest drain on that, the biggest challenge, the biggest struggle with truly being an Easter person is the way that modern Christianity, modern politically active Christianity, handles the current events of the day. So if you listen to the most recent Inappropriate Conversations podcast, uh, that would be uh, number 162, First Do No Harm, it was intended to be a podcast talking about vaccination, its importance, its history in our country. And instead, it starts off with a couple of really, what I would describe as soul-crushing stories from a Christian perspective. One, the uh, number of states in this country who are committed to discrimination to such a degree, who are seeking their their moment in the sun, their day in court, their backlash against perhaps gay marriage in particular, um, and have tried to pass laws that make it not only possible, but likely that there will be that kind of backlash at the retail level, almost. Trying to empower or at least permit photographers and musicians and uh, DJs and bakeries to decline services to people who are going to have a same-sex marriage celebration of sorts. Because they realize that nothing in the law would force a church or a pastor to officiate a same-sex ceremony. So where the church actually has tremendous rights in denying services to people who are, in their mind, different and different in an unacceptable way. They don't really have much say because being, being able to say no really quickly to something sort of takes away your, your ability to be nasty about it. You know, if a question comes up and the answer is simply no, well, then you're done with it. But to be able to leverage some sort of Christian politics to extend that influence, to make no a bigger thing, well, that seems to be the gist of it. That was one issue. The other, which I won't go into here because I shared it uh, on that Inappropriate conversation show in some detail, but the reality is that when World Vision uh, put a lot of, uh, ended up putting a lot of children at risk because their uh, fumbled mishandling of a HR policy change, or perhaps their inability to manage the media and to allow Christianity today to create a fumbled mishandling of what should have been a pretty benign human resources policy change led to what we initially thought was a couple thousand sponsorships being dropped by those children in need. And what I found out last week was that it wasn't just a couple thousand, it was more than 10,000. It was actually closer to 20,000. And the thing that really stopped me in my tracks, and frankly, made me question certain things, not about my faith, but about the faithful, was the fact that 
even though World Vision immediately caved, withdrew the policy, and issued a really uh, kind of aggressive public apology. They they backed down completely. They said that their critics were right. They granted their opponents everything, and those people still didn't come back. Here we are a year later, and by and large, those sponsorships hasn't, haven't been restored, or the net impact of the lost sponsorships uh, has not played out. And I couldn't even fathom that information. So I asked a couple of questions of some friends of mine, and the answers that I got back in terms of where does the church stand today on questions of homosexuality led me to begin to think that maybe, at least on this one particular social issue, we're not acting like Easter people. We're not seeing the future. We're not viewing things from the perspective of a new heaven and new earth. We're not hanging on the words of a resurrected Christ who came and pointed us in a new direction and sent us off on a great commission. We're instead hanging on what we think are the the last words of essentially what you might describe as a dying religion. If Jesus came to turn an entire Jewish sect away from Judaism, away from the law, and towards something different and better, toward what during his lifetime was clear moments of outreach to Samaritans, for example, and other isolated moments of you know, proclaiming the incredible faith of a Roman soldier uh, above all the people in Jerusalem and Israel and Judea. Jesus was pointing us in another direction. And in the darkness, of, in the darkness and despair of Good Friday, when a group of disciples fled uh, to avoid what they might have thought was their imminent arrest, uh, and if they did get together... <clears throat> probably got together huddled in absolute terror of what might happen next, and perhaps realizing that their dreams of, of Jesus being the Messiah had been dashed completely, and perhaps they needed to flee headlong in to the Old Testament laws that Jesus had been steering them slightly away from. You get those that notion of being a Good Friday Christian, somebody who's obsessed with the moment of greatest darkness, because an Easter believer, Easter people, would handle these issues differently. So I put a blog post up just this weekend, the weekend I'm recording, by the way, this is Easter Sunday for me, called It's Not Just a Concern. And it was an answer, in some ways sort of a blogosphere dialogue of sorts, with a with an online friend of mine that I've never met from Dallas, Texas, uh, just talking about this issue of Right now, when you look at things that have happened in Indiana, um, things that were on the verge of happening in states like uh, Arkansas and Georgia, things that probably seemingly are inevitably going to happen in, in Louisiana and Texas, this issue isn't going away. And if you're a, a gay man or a lesbian woman, you would have every reason to be legitimately fearful about how long this backlash is going to last, how long this pendulum swing is going to go before things get back to what we might call the middle path again, or the middle way. So, in the course of writing that, I realized that that this wasn't just a concern for others. It might also be a concern for me, because I might be regarded by some folks as an ally. It's certainly possible, anyway, that if you've got sort of a right-wing dip into neo-fascism, one of the first things fascists do when they take over, when they in, enforce their will through political power, is to round up all the people that they strongly disagree with. And the second they do, second thing they do is round up the sympathizers. I'll be transparent about it. 
I'd have a hard time making an argument that I'm not a sympathizer in the sense that I'm willing to stand up for the least of these, or at least stand up to people who call themselves Christians and yet attack people that they clearly believe are the least of these, without noting the irony that in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us that he is the least of these. (laughs) This is my struggle. So what I wrote on the Walk the Earth Facebook page today, at the point that I shared this article there, because I put a link to this new blog post, both on Inappropriate Conversations Facebook page and the one for Walk the Earth. And it basically said that as I get ready for Easter here, um, I also intend to share on this particular Walk the Earth question some thoughts about intimidation too. The contrast seems odd, I'll grant I wish it were truly odd in the sense of being wrong, but I have friends who have just this past week seen Christians confront one another, Christians confronting other Christians with angry and condemning words because they are guilty of being too tolerant. I talk about a backlash, this is what I'm talking about. And this is the distinction I'm making, that that notion of being too tolerant, that fear-based response to something that we you know, frankly, as Christians, don't yet fully understand. We don't understand homosexuality because we're refusing to let ourselves have conversations with them. By refusing to acknowledge the possibility that the Holy Spirit can work miracles, and therefore if you think that it would be a miracle for there to be such thing as a gay Christian, then you might want to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing and have conversations with people who will tell you that they are gay and Christian. Now, this accusation of being too tolerant was related to a child's homosexuality, a parent who is Christian, in fact, Christian and a pastor, I believe, talking about the fact that their child is gay. Too tolerant of your own child, I suppose, is the question that I'm asking. And the answer that was related to me indirectly, not in so many words, was, yeah, what this uh, Christian friend of mine I witnessed was somebody saying that I'm not even sure I can worship with you. Because you have not kicked that abomination out of your house. It's not a direct quote, except that they they use the word abomination. Let me jump over, without naming any names, kind of walk through this quote just kind of a little bit here, because I had raised the concerns I had of what was going on with World Vision, and asked for help. I asked, frankly, hoping for some reassurance that what seems to be a very large movement, and I don't want to get into questions of whether it's a minority Christian movement or a minority Christian movement, it certainly seems to be leading the way within politically conservative evangelical Christianity. So depending on how small you create the subset of Christians, it's a majority of some subset of Christians. I wanted somebody to tell me I was wrong about that. And frankly, (laughs) nobody could. You see, I've engaged in the past in prison ministry, and I know that I've shared on inappropriate conversations before. I don't know if I've shared the same thought here on Walk the Earth, but I had put activities related to those what I call parachurch activities on hold. I definitely had taken a firm position that I would no longer engage in the the wing of this sort of movement in um, in Protestant Christianity, mainline Protestant Christianity about educating future leaders that was focused solely within the church. And I did so because of the way the people that I had interacted with on these outreach ministries before, the way they'd handled the Chick-fil-A thing. Their responses seemed to be completely tone deaf 
to the fact that this was a company spending millions or at least hundreds of thousands of dollars raising money for organizations which had been identified publicly as hate groups and that were actually engaged in activities to raise money to put um, African citizens within African nations to death for being for nothing more than either being gay or to imprison them for significant terms, you know, 10 years hard time, 20 years to life, for nothing more than being aware of homosexuals and not ratting them out. And that tone deafness, that that let's go get a sandwich because the owner of Chick-fil-A is Christian and I'm Christian too, turned me off so much that I basically said, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this Curcio movement. I shut the door, locked the door on one side, but on the other side, a similar sort of Curcio movement that does its work in prisons, I didn't lock the door. I shut it, but I didn't lock it. Uh, it seemed unlikely to me at the time, and frankly still does, that I would be going behind prison walls again with them. But I am still, I was then and am still now, willing to participate in other ways for that ministry. Perhaps giving money to somebody who needs to provide a certain uh, upfront donation to pay for some of the costs of participation. If I knew somebody who was going to be participating in that ministry and, and I knew where their heart was and I knew where they were on their walk, and I knew they just couldn't afford it. I, I would be very willing to cover that gap. I certainly would be willing to pray for the preparation, the team preparation, and for the weekend itself where 40-plus people go inside maximum security prisons, usually maximum security, have the doors shut behind them, and spend sunrise to sundown or even you know, later than sundown every single day uh, engaging in ministry outreach doing what they describe as listen, listen, love, love. I'm all about that idea of let's listen to what people who tell us that they, they are Christian and homosexual have to say. And when we're done listening, let's overcome the temptation to form a response, delete all that activity in our brains, and listen one more time. And after we've listened twice to try to understand what it is they say, and once again facing that, temp that temptation to offer an argumentative response. Set all that aside until we have decided that no matter what happens, no matter what we might disagree with, no matter what we heard that we might have a different thought about, that our first job is to love this person the way Jesus commanded us to do. And just like we listen twice, let's stop and love twice, just to make sure we get it right. Because frankly, we could make a commitment to love two dozen times and still get nowhere near the standard set by Jesus. If we want to be Easter people and not Good Friday people, or not, frankly, Election Day people. So listen, listen, love, love is one reason why I'm kind of committed to the idea of supporting this ministry. And left, again, maybe not the door open, certainly not even cracked, but if shut, not locked, the notion of participating actively in ministry again. But for now, the only active participation I can conceive doing is baking cookies. Because what this ministry does, among other things, when it goes in behind the prison door, is bring in, I think the number is two dozen cookies, some number of, of multiple of homemade cookies, or at least uh, personally oven-baked, and frankly oven-baked and prayed over cookies, for every single person in the institution. Not for the three or four dozen people who are residents of the facility, who are uh, incarcerated, but participating in the weekend as a, as a guest in the ministry event, 
but for every single person. The one time I participated, one of my roles was to go cell block by cell block, uh, prison door by prison door, and extend the cookies even to those people who were unable to participate actively in that particular weekend event. And in one case, I got I was turned down. I was turned down by a Muslim resident, and it's not 100% clear to me because this isn't a conversation. This isn't evangelism. This is simply, I'm here, here's why I'm bringing you cookies, God bless you. Did the Muslim resident of, of that um, jail turn me down because of the religious differences between us or because he couldn't be 100% certain that I hadn't used ingredients that would be outside the laws of his faith? I think I might have mentioned in the past on Walk the Earth that there's this line between the the legalism of the Old Testament. If you wanted to be an extremely conservative Orthodox Jew, you've got 600 or more laws you've got to be following at all times that are frankly possible impossible to follow, in my opinion. And Islam has a <clears throat> similar notion of submitting to a large set of rules. And that I view... Uh, I view Protestant Christianity in particular, but frankly all of Christianity, if you're truly doing what Jesus said and paying attention to what Paul wrote, uh, you're kind of been freed from the notion of following those laws. Jesus tells us instead to love God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that doesn't just uh, include via asterisk that neighbor who's in prison. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and on, that it especially includes the person who is in prison, regardless of whether that person is Christian, and regardless what that person did that ultimately led to their incarceration. So will I bake cookies? Absolutely. Will I go behind prison doors? Well, here's the, here's the sharing that I received this weekend that gives me pause about that. Um, it goes like this. Some of the team, because the notion is you get together with a team of people and you prepare for what it is you're going to do as one body, as the body of Christ in a cursio, presenting a short course in Christianity to a group of people who you know, perhaps have never really heard the gospel presented to them. And if they have, they may have never heard it presented to them in any way other than anger. Uh, if you wanted more deep background on this, the way to get it, it's inappropriate conversations number 139 and 140. I'm not looking at the working titles of, of the directory in Zoom or iTunes right now, but I can tell you that what, what I intended to call them, one was called uh, Spiritual Stunting and Divine Development, a, a community-building topic in inappropriate conversations 139. And 140 was going to be uh, gathering around the campfire, as in church retreats and perhaps business conferences. And on that one, I chose to focus specifically on this concept of, of church retreats. But both of them dealt directly with this concept of community building, of being in team preparation. So when my team, my friend talks about the team, that's what she means. She says, some of the team were very uncomfortable when it was learned that a member is gay. And... She had no trouble with it, but she was a little concerned about what role sexual identification, sexual preference might play behind prison walls, where homosexuality is a huge issue, not just in men's prisons. I think we kind of have a pretty good mental image of that, but also in a lot of women's prisons. But she told me, and this surprised me a little bit because she's older than I am and, and more conservative than I am, that it wasn't a problem for her. She found the woman to be very funny and caring, and an individual that... Um, she didn't, didn't really care where she served. She just wanted to serve the Lord. And having, perhaps in my opinion, reading between the lines here, 
experience what it means to be treated like the least of these, not just by society in many cases, but certainly the church, perhaps our prison ministry is a great way to give back. That was one thing that came up, and it changed the tone of the team development. But the other one was a pastor who was part of the clergy, because the way these these small groups work in this uh, this weekend event, this cursio, is that you pretty much have a clergy member and two people, uh, lay, lay people, non-clergy, who share a table with twice that member, twice that number of resident inmates of, of a correctional facility. And there's a lot of time for discussion and sharing, and, and perhaps, depending on the weekend, over the course of time, praying, at least where that's appropriate. So the clergy member who was serving as the, the representative of, of the ordained, I suppose, of one of those tables, admitted in a table conversation that her son is gay. And this is what brought another team member to tell her, just straight, point blank, your son's an abomination. As if the opinion was being sought when it wasn't. The pastor was in tears, my friend said, and said later that she should have known better than to voice her own opinion. Let me remind Christians of something that we need to understand. Jesus told us that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He also told us that he had come to set us free, and the truth would do that. The truth will set you free. So for somebody to realize, quote-unquote, that it was a mistake to tell the truth to a fellow Christian is kind of a hideous abomination. What did I do with this? Well, I guess my question is, am I right to be concerned, or even more than concerned, for my own safety? Yeah, so what did I do with it? I immediately internalized it. Because this was a case of a church member attacking verbally another church member over something that was not directly related to that other church member, except for the fact that she had a parent-to-child relationship with somebody who was gay. So if we're going to attack the parents of gay children, don't, don't fool yourself. There are many out there who call themselves Christian who would be more than willing, perhaps in fear, uh, perhaps in darkness, to attack somebody else who is sharing the gospel in somewhat of a more open way, sharing the gospel in an Easter way, rather than in a Good Friday sort of a way. So, if I worry about my safety, because then I, why would I be willing to do prison ministry with people who I don't think I can trust to keep me safe? Doesn't going behind the, the doors, the bars of a maximum security prison, presume that I'm counting on the wisdom and the awareness and the cohesion of people who are on the same ministry team that I am, supposed to be the same body of Christ that I am, And what if some of them aren't so sure that I shouldn't be stoned to death along with the quote-unquote sinners that I'm all too willing to quote-unquote tolerate? Again, in a fascist system, the first thing you do is round up the 'er ne'er-do-wells. The second thing you do is round up their sympathizers. So as I get ready to talk about the topic for today on whether Easter is the most important weekend in the church count, I will tell you it's the most important day in Holy Week. I've certainly gotten to that point here already. I know that I'm saying it at a point in time that I would have to describe as dark days for Christianity, or at least dark days for Christianity in America. And I don't mean that dark days in the sense of of overall financial giving or church attendance or anything that people might point to, um, the life and vibrancy of the church, the inability to, to reach out effectively to the young. 
No, I'm talking about dark days for Christianity when you have Christians attacking other Christians who are not only clearly clergy, but clergy doing ministry, doing what Jesus commanded us to do, going out and reaching the lost and loving the least of these as if the least of these were Jesus Christ himself. If we're attacking those people, what hope is there for the rest of the Christians who are just trying to find their way to answers? We need the light of an Easter morning in ways that are far more profound than we can probably even imagine. So my recommendation is to go to inappropriateconversations.org and read the most recent blog post. Even if you get to this, our, this particular Walk the Earth episode you know, months from now, just go to the articles category on the right navigation bar of the website and just track down the uh, the Easter 2015 time frame for It's Not Just a Concern is the name of the particular article. Because here's the deal. The uproar that's happening across the American South and even as far north as states like Indiana, uh, states that I might describe as being part of the Bible Belt, maybe not the buckle, maybe not the clasp, but still part of the Bible Belt, to use that analogy, is over baking cakes. But here's the thing. This entire parachurch activity I've been describing at the start of the show today has its goal of having not just the, again, 40-plus people who participate on a team and go into the prison, but probably a multiple of that, uh, friends and fellow church members, other Christians helping to bake cookies to go in and deliver those cookies, not just to people who have expressed an interest in this short course in Christianity, this cursio, but every single inmate there, regardless what they've done, uh, not whether they want it or not, because I've, I've kept a bag of cookies when you know an inmate told me that he was not interested. A resident had no interest in taking cookies from a Christian because you know perhaps he had a mistrust. Well, you know what? I have a mistrust. Because if as Christians we're not willing to bake a cake for somebody, especially if you're the kind of Christian who feels like that person is lost and needs to be reached, then why are we baking cookies? What are we baking cookies for? And here's the irrational thought that I'm wrestling with, and I, I don't know whether I should be ashamed of this or not, but it's certainly an irrational thought that I'm wrestling with. I've had this problem of trying to deal with the question in my mind of whether or not I could trust that people who may not have my back because they disagree with me on a political issue might not have my health in their best interest either. I don't know what to call it, but an irrational fantasy of sorts, of thinking that, um, you know, just like the Christians on Thursday, the Monday Thursday part of Holy Week, uh, who were not necessarily part of the Twelve, with the exception of Judas, or the otherwise the inner circle, who were screaming Hosanna that day, turned around less than 24 hours later and were screaming, crucify him. We don't, we're not making good judgment. We're making a mistake. If we divide the characters in this story, because to me, I'll, I'll say it for anybody who is an atheist or non-believer listening to Walk the Earth, by the way, welcome. But you can view the same questions I'm asking as if we're talking about one of the most compelling fictional characters in the history of the universe. Because if you're going to take that approach and say, well, I don't have to take Christianity seriously because nothing, none of this is real. Yeah, my attitude is once you say it's not real, then you might want to have to deal with it from the perspective of fiction. We still have a, a cast of characters here. I choose to believe that it's a fairly realistic rendering of real people. 
I give Josephus the same credit for his descriptions of things that happened in the decades right after the events described in the Gospels. But it's not that there's one group of people who are screaming Hosanna and a completely different set of people who are screaming crucify. You have to look at it almost like a Venn diagram. There may have been a lot of people screaming crucify who didn't even know who Jesus was. They were just looking for a party. You know, the same kind of people who would tune in for an execution if we televised them. And there certainly was a group of at least two dozen people who uh, had screamed Hosanna because they had actually been following Jesus into town and never turned around and screamed crucify. Although, again, the largest number of them left in panic and terror. They weren't exactly there screaming, don't crucify, if, if I tell the story right. But there is in that Venn diagram this central piece of the puzzle of people who... 24 hours earlier screamed, Hosanna, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and then said, crucify him. And it's that group that has me worried. Because do I have enough faith in the faithful? Uh, no, I don't anymore. I have tremendous faith in God. Uh, one day, maybe on Walk the Earth, I'll tell the story. But I have a tremendous faith in God because of things that I've experienced. But do I trust that if I knew a Christian baker, would I feel comfortable having them bake me a cake? Because this is what you hear. You hear people say, well, I don't even understand why the gay and lesbian activists are so up in arms. Why would you want a cake baked by somebody who thinks you should be stoned to death? This is simultaneously, from a Walk the Earth perspective, I'm going to call this a good question. I'll get to why I feel that way in just a moment. From an inappropriate conversations perspective, if I... If I blend the politics in a little bit more heavier in the mix of things on these two shows, and Inappropriate Conversations is by far the more political of the two shows, the question itself is a bit of, is a, bit of a ruse. Because the real thing is, yes, I would always choose to do business with people that I want to give money to. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. But there are probably entire states in this fine union of ours, in the United States of America, where somebody might not be able to find... There might, the notion of another bakery is probably a little bit disingenuous that there are parts of the country there where there wouldn't be another bakery and that if the only people who provide the kind of services you need to put on a wedding cannot be counted on to treat all of their customers equally and fairly, then what do you got? You probably have nothing. But the reason I think it's a good question, this question of you know, why would you want to give money to somebody who has a uh, homophobic or bigoted attitude and wishes you harm, the, the least amount of harm that they might wish you is to ruin your occasion or to, have, or to, to be able to, to deny you the ability to play a positive role in your occasion. But that wishing you harm could be much, much darker. I never recommend that anybody read the comments section below someone's blog or below an, a newswire or certainly not in places like YouTube. But if you did look at those comments sections... I think you're going to get a pretty good idea of what the actual risk is. That I would be probably somewhat terrified that I might get poisoned by somebody who could volunteer to cater my wedding and use it as an, as an opportunity to do some de facto version of modern stoning. Therefore, why would I want to work hand-in-hand in, hand in Christian ministry with the kind of people that, that I have a legitimate fear about? If they would do harm to people who... Uh, you know, are the least of these at the very least, depending on how you look at it. I don't look at it that way. I look at them as being equals to me, equals uh, certainly from the perspective of the laws in the United States of America and the principles upon which this country was founded. 
that all men, meaning people, are created equal and all of us have inalienable rights, including the pursuit of happiness, that anybody who would do that person harm could certainly do me harm as well. For the same reason that I don't take seriously the idea that uh, you, you shouldn't... <laughs> I don't buy the argument that you need to go to some other bakery because the people in this bakery might hurt you. Why aren't we dealing with the people who are that violent? Why aren't we dealing aggressively with people who might harm other people in, in such an egregious way? But if I do take the argument seriously, if I granted any modicum of credit, the credit that I granted is that, yes, there are Easter people within the realm of Christianity, and then there are Pharisees. And those Pharisees, uh, if you look at the difference between the Apostle Paul and who he was before, the Saul, the Christian killer, the, uh, the witch hunter, for want of a better word, I would rather not do business with this Saul person, meaning that I would rather not stand arm to arm with him in Christian ministry and sit at a table side by side with him within a prison and trust him to do the right thing by the people that we're ministering to and also by me. That's a staggering statement. And it's what I mean by these are dark days for Christianity. They're dark days in the sense that I cannot trust Christians not to do harm. So this is the difference for me in parachurch activity. And when I asked myself, was I right to withdraw from participating in, I'd say in light of the situation in Indiana, in light of the revelations from World Vision, I'd say absolutely yes. And I say that, acknowledging that there's something genuinely good about Curcio. The coursework in the short course on Christianity is, or at least it was at the time that I was participating, absolutely solid. Rob Bell, in his book Love Wins, complains about one particular image. And this image might be the most objectionable thing that is part of the short courses that I participated in. It's this notion of the cross being a bridge. Bell describes it this way, <clears throat> talking specifically about hell and whether the images that we have about hell are truly biblical or extra-biblical, and he makes a fairly compelling argument, using the Bible alone, that these, these images that we've been given are more like Dante's Inferno and less like anything that Jesus said. But the idea was <clears throat> that if you think about what happens in Holy Week, what happens at this time that we're celebrating, if you look at the cross as being a bridge, an invitation to bring people from their current state into the new heaven and new earth, or into the kingdom of God among us, or into the Christian fold. And I've talked a little bit about the question of what are Christians supposed to be? In Inappropriate Conversations 162, I shared the story of Zacchaeus and kind of made the argument that I've made before on that show, that in the, in the story of Zacchaeus that is told in Luke, I believe chapter 19, Christians are supposed to be the tree. We are supposed to be strong, but relatively silent, lifting people up so that it is easier for them to see Jesus and Jesus to see them above a crowd and a mob of people who are unfriendly and would prefer that that encounter never happen. That mob of angry people might be what we might call the new atheist movement, who isn't merely satisfied with being protected in their right to disbelieve, but seems to be much more active in the notion that no one should be allowed to believe. That, that part of the crowd. Or just the political nonsense, whether that is politics that views itself as friendly to Christianity or unfriendly to Christianity, it is all nonsense. And it makes up part of the white noise, the, the din of static in this, in this madding crowd. But that crowd also... It also includes a lot of Christians. 
Now, at the time of the Zacchaeus story, they weren't Christians. They were um, they were Pharisees and they were other zealots. But now this group of Pharisees and zealots is a Christian form of Phariseeism. And so in the Zacchaeus story, we are supposed to be the tree. Nothing more, nothing less. But as I, I've walked through this analogy of the cross, and the theory is that the that below the cross is hell itself, and the left behind in the bad way are on the other side of the bridge. But if you use this cross as a bridge and, and you navigate the distance across it, then you become part of the body of Christ, part of the kingdom. But too many Christians these days view their role on that bridge as gatekeepers, perhaps even as toll booth attendants. I'm not really wanting today to talk about the prosperity gospel preachers and the overwhelming majority of what you hear on television from televangelists, but even you know to a large degree on radio, I'm sad to say even to somewhat of a degree in the podcast realm, but the pay-to-play notion would be more of a toll booth attendant. I'm comfortable just talking about it as being gatekeepers. But the problem that I've got is, what about somebody like me? What am I doing? What's the purpose? Not just of Walk the Earth, but also of inappropriate conversations, and also things that I do outside the realm of podcasting. And I see the purpose as more not standing right in front of the destination, uh, the, the entrance into the body of Christ, but on the other side of the bridge, pointing to a no trespassing sign that some foolish Christians have placed there and trying to explain to the world that that sign itself was a mistake, and until I can get it removed, we ought to ignore it, and sharing a great deal of scripture to help people understand why. You see, most people think that if you get farther and farther away from the actual axis of that cross, the part of the cross that's closest to heaven, that you're going to find yourself under attack by the world. And from time to time, I do find myself encountering and conversing with some extremely disagreeable people who have no interest in Christianity whatsoever. And perhaps you could call that being under attack by the world, but it is in, it's incredibly rare compared to the number of times I find myself under attack by Christians who question my motives and don't understand what I'm trying to do by reaching, quote, those people, unquote. I'm interrupting their agenda. I'm getting in the way, and if I would just stop, they might knuckle under. That gatekeeper mentality, that use of force, that misunderstanding what Jesus meant by love, and somehow convoluting that concept and making it somehow conflated with the concept of power. That I do believe that love is the most powerful force in the universe, but it has nothing to do with what we as a, as a feeble humanity describe as power. So no, I find myself under attack more often by Christians on the other side of this bridge who don't want anybody that they are going to want to say no to at the gate wasting their time crossing the bridge. It's, the, it's that mentality. So am I part of the body of Christ? Yes. Am I sharing space on this bridge? Yes. Do I believe I'm doing the right thing by hanging out on the side of the bridge that opens up to people who have never heard the gospel told in any other way that wasn't a hate the sin kind of perversion? That's where I need to be, and that's where I'm going to be. But I think the church needs to understand. When I'm asking questions like, are we Easter people or not? And wouldn't Easter people reach out significantly more than we do? And wouldn't Easter people who are going into a prison to share God's love with people who've committed who knows what crimes see the difference between that and a loving, committed gay couple? These are the questions I'm asking. 
it forces me over to the other side of the bridge. But please understand when I express my frustration, when I talk about losing faith in the faithful, the problem is that I'm under attack by people who call themselves the church 20, 30, 40 times more likely than I've ever been under attack by anybody that those folks would say are worldly or of the world or unbelievers or even the worst kind of atheist, whatever that may mean. So the actual question, which I guess I need to get to now, is whether Easter is the most important Christian holiday. And part of the reason I wanted to go into kind of my state of mind right now and to talk about my state of mind from the perspective of the difference between Easter and what it means to be standing outside on uh, early in the wee hours of Saturday morning denying Christ multiple times is that it doesn't take me very long to answer this question. Whether Easter is the most important holiday in the Christian calendar, the answer is clearly, in my mind, no. It's the most important day in the season of, of Lent and Holy Week that follows, you know, at the tail end of it. It's certainly the most important part of Holy Week. If you take Easter out of the equation, if you don't have, for example, if you don't have a resurrection and the scenes that immediately follow the resurrection, then this, this story of this week that Christians have celebrated is a very dark story. Maybe even a very ugly story. I'd say I'm worried about spoiling here, because I do, to answer this question properly, I need to queue up the next Walk the Earth question, but it can't possibly be a spoiler for anybody who knows me. I've shared these thoughts before. They come up from time to time when I'm talking about Christmas on Inappropriate Conversations, for example. In fact, I think probably in the first maybe three months of the Inappropriate Conversations podcast back in 2010, I address these same questions in exactly the same way I'm going to do it now. But perhaps I have a hope that Walk the Earth has a slightly different audience or maybe an additional piece of audience that might not have heard me share these things before. You see, I don't think the Christian calendar hinges upon Easter. I certainly don't think it hinges upon Christmas because these are benchmarks that we have used or frankly misused by turning them into holidays rather than holy days. Now, don't get me wrong. To me, the resurrection is more important than the crucifixion, is more important than the Last Supper, is more important than Jesus' baptism, is more important than Jesus' birth, which means that I've just taken a whole series of things that have happened between the very end of November and now in our current calendar, aligned with the Christian ecclesiastical calendar, and have basically said Christmas is very, very far away from being the most important. And note that because Easter is so much more important to me as a Christian than Christmas, how much eye-rolling I do in the month of December when all of the um, news programs, especially the politically conservative news programs, won't shut up about stuff like a war on Christmas. It's not like the nativity is the bottom peg on a Jenga game, where if you pull that out of Scripture, all all of the game tumbles over. That is, of course, the mentality of a lot of politically active Christians. To me, if I don't meet Jesus... Anywhere else but the context of Mark's gospel, the first time I learn who he is, is moments before his baptism as a full-grown adult, ready to start what we might consider the, the portion of his life that's his early ministry. I am not endangered in my faith by not understanding Christmas any more than I'm endangered in my faith by not understanding anything that happened in Jesus' life between the ages of 13 and 30. There are open periods of time that I don't know and understand and that I don't really need to know. And understand. And the fact that I know something about Christmas is fine. But to tell you what, as I walk the earth, 
as I went through this process in the last year or so of walking the earth, the most important thing on that journey for me was not necessarily the fact that Jesus was crucified and was resurrected, uh, that he met with his followers and later ascended into heaven. Those are all very important, but they're not as important to me as the role the Holy Spirit plays in my life. So funny, given the choice between Easter and Pentecost, if I could only choose one of them to point to as an event, well, of course, it's probably going to be Easter. Frankly, as an event, it's probably going to be Christmas because the entire world sort of shuts down and behaves, behaves differently to celebrate the event. But that's not really what we mean by a Christian calendar. When I look at um, a secular calendar, the world's calendar, Christmas is very important because that's going to be a day off work and a day off school no matter where it falls. It doesn't happen to happen on Sunday every year. It's not like Thanksgiving. It's not a Thursday every year either. It moves all around the calendar because it's always pegged arbitrarily to December 25th. And it's important from a secular perspective to know when am I going to be off work and do I need to take additional days on either side of that if I intend to travel? That's a secular question. That's a holiday, not a holy day. Even if you apply it here to where we are today, where I'm recording this on what uh, most of Christianity calls Easter, for Eastern Orthodoxy, this is Palm Sunday, and a week from now is going to be Easter. That's okay with me. I'm not really that married to the idea that time is significantly true. So it doesn't really bother me that... Uh, two different understandings of lunar and solar calendars could get you to two, two different answers on when a Christian holiday might be. The more important thing is that the church does stop and, re and remember, stop and recognize these things. So there's nothing wrong with celebrating Good Friday. I spent a couple hours this week in a Good Friday service. Happy to do it. Uh, intend to do it again in the future because I love the way this particular congregation that I've joined does it. So just because I was making a comparison all podcasts long between a Good Friday perspective, a fearful us-against-the-world, let's-retreat-back-into-the-legalism kind of mindset of the apostles on that actual dark day versus where we might have been uh, with, with Easter, with an Easter perspective. The reality is that Easter, to me, doesn't compare to Pentecost because the voice that I was listening to as I prayed my way through the process of walking away from really the only church I've ever been a member of in the city I live in now uh, remember, I said in the very first Walk the Earth episode that it's very unusual for me to change churches for any other reason than geographical location. Meaning, when I left the city that I lived in and moved four or five states away to get to where I'm at now, and we finally took on the process of finding and joining a church, I was a member of that church we joined, the first church we joined after the relocation, for something like 15 years. It takes a lot to make me make that kind of change. So having made that kind of change, it took a lot for me to make a change again. So the voice that was guiding me through that was the voice of the Holy Spirit. It was a prayer-led you know, decision, first to walk the earth, and second, how to conduct that walk. And the day of Pentecost is the day when we celebrate or observe or remember the coming of the Holy Spirit to the very earliest formation of the church. And to me, that's a much more significant day. That's a day that impacts me every single day of my life. And, of course, it wouldn't have happened had Easter not occurred. So we could go all the way back to that regression and get all the way back to Christmas. <laughs> Again, like I did earlier. But to me, it's a progression where one builds upon another. That the coming of the Holy Spirit has made a much more significant difference in how I live my life than merely remembering what happened on Easter Sunday.
The two are connected. But if I had to make a choice between them, I wouldn't pick Easter. For that reason, even as I sit here on Easter Sunday, celebrating Easter Sunday, the answer to the question of whether Easter Sunday is the most important day in the church calendar is no. I look back on some negative answers that I provided in the past, and I've got things like, yeah, temperately, no, except for maybe a slight restatement, uh, only somewhat, not solely. A lot of these no's are kind of cagey. And it's not like I haven't seen a question in Walk the Earth where the answer was definitely, absolutely, positively no. But maybe it's been a while. And here's one. I don't think that it's an insult to Easter. I think Easter is important. I've spent my day celebrating it, as a matter of fact. I just think that from the perspective of Christianity, there's more to come. And here's the interesting thought. Most Christians, perhaps even the overwhelming number of Christians, perhaps even me, if you ask me right now to tell you exactly what date in the calendar for 2015 is the proper observation of Pentecost, I probably couldn't tell you. I know for a fact that I don't know anybody right now that I'm confident could tell you. And to me, that's a tremendous blessing. It's not an indictment. It tells you that this moment of Pentecost, which is so crucial in the individual believer's relationship to the Holy Spirit, has not yet become something I might dismissively describe as a holiday. It is still, praise the Lord, just a holy day. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you know that I have found this to be a particularly challenging week. And I don't know, Lord, if people who listen to podcasts that I record take any of what I do as theatrical, or if they know me well enough to know that if I say I'm hurting, I'm really hurting. Jesus, I'm really hurting. I can't remember an Easter Sunday, um, even more than last year, but the last couple of Easter Sundays during this period of Walk the Earth have really been a struggle for me to identify fully with the larger body of Christ to celebrate the resurrection with everybody, because I have come very close to being afraid of some of the people who describe themselves somewhat proudly as the body of Christ. Lord, I know those fears are sinful. So help me. Help me, Lord Jesus, to set aside these fears. Give me the wisdom to continue to know whether I should put myself in danger or not, and help me to listen to your voice through the Holy Spirit, guiding my path and and leading me through the plans that you've made for me, but help me to do so in a way that's not afraid, because I know that that fear, and the fear that I see far too often from so many Christians, is unseemly and represents an incredible lack of faith in you. So Lord, it's my prayer this day that I am not standing on Easter Sunday face to face with the reality that I'm losing faith in you, Jesus. And I, I want your help in, in arresting what I think is the problem I'm facing of losing faith in some of the rest of your followers. We see in the gospel accounts that no good comes from that. And I don't want to be part of something that's as bad as the behaviors I've been seeing for the last 12 to 24 months in the church. You know what I'm talking about, Lord. Help me. Be a positive influence, or help me get out of the way. In your holy name I pray. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent.
shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether the Holy Spirit deserves more recognition as God working in our lives. Thanks for listening.